Welcome to Kids Considered, where two pediatricians discuss children's health topics of interest to parents in a podcast with new subjects considered every episode. I'm Dr. Lena Vanderlist. And I'm Dr. Dean Blumberg. And we're both pediatricians at UC Davis Children's Hospital in Sacramento, California. So I am so excited to talk about our topic today and and chat with our guests. So nearly every day in my office as a general pediatrician, I have parents that come in with concerns about their children's speech. So it might be speech development, right? Their 15-month-old hasn't started saying any words. Or you might get to the toddler stage, like Mira is two years old now, and, and she has all of these hilarious speech articulation issues. So whenever she is talking about, like, my book, she says, like, mish book. Mish birthday. Um, or or when my husband and I need a good laugh at night, we like point out a picture of a fox. And mm-hmm. I think you can imagine what she says when she sees that. <laughs> it's not appropriate for the air. Uh-huh. As kids get older, they can have a whole host of other things. And one of the more common things that we see is speech disfluency, which is also known as stuttering. And that is what we're going to talk about today. Right. So many parents become concerned about speech disfluency or stuttering. And it's important to understand that stuttering can be a normal and natural part of a child's speech development. Right. But we want parents to understand what is normal and what might need additional help. So to help us explore speech disfluency or stuttering, we are pleased to welcome Dr. Aisha Patterson. She is Associate Professor in Communication Sciences and Disorders at California State University here in Sacramento, and she is also a licensed and certified speech-language pathologist. She has research experience on the physiologic stress response in school-aged children who stutter. So really, we're so pleased to have you here this morning. Absolutely, Dr. Patterson. Welcome. You're the perfect person to educate us about this. Us as medical doctors get almost no training in speech disorders or disfluency, Um, so I am so excited to learn from you today. Excellent. Happy to be here. Great. So let's start by defining stuttering. What is the definition of stuttering? Stuttering is described as difficulty with this forward flow of speech. So when little kids start to have disfluencies or stutters, we see typically they are repeating sounds and we call those repetitions where uh, 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 all of a sudden, they have a sound usually at the beginning of the word that they start to repeat. Sometimes we see other stutters, like where there's a stretching out of a sound, and we call those prolongations. And then um, we do see some other types where all of a sudden the child may get stuck in a sound and they're Uh, mouth may be uh, sort of frozen in a position, and we call that a block, where all of a sudden they may have a short period of time where there's no sound or air coming out. So how common is stuttering in kids? Stuttering isn't super common, but we do see it typically for kids between two, two and a half, maybe up to four typically around this time during like a language explosion where kids are saying lots of words and learning lots of new words and putting words together and starting to have longer phrases. But for 
kids, we usually see about 5% of kids um, have a stutter. But as they grow up and get older, we see a lot of kids will spontaneously recover, even without treatment. So the worldwide population, we usually see the prevalence rate at about 1%. So a little bit higher for young kids, around 5%. But a lot of those children spontaneously recover. They just stop stuttering on their own. So this might start at the beginning of speech development, or sometimes kids will have normal speech development up to a point, and then they'll start developing stuttering? Yes, exactly. So we usually don't see kids start to have these repetitions or repeating sounds right when they learn their first word, right? It's usually after a period of time where they have more and more words and they have more and more to say. (laughs) So it's typically around this period of language explosion where they have lots of things they want to tell you and they're super excited and they just may get into a repetition like that. So we know, like, just like you said, maybe around two, three, like language is exploding. They're they're starting to repeat everything they hear. I definitely am seeing it in my own life with my own child. So why is it that this critical period is the time that that parents might start to see that? Kids have lots of things to say, right? And they're their cognition is is increasing, their language skills are increasing, and it's just this period of adjustment. Lots of kids will have some disfluencies during that time. So many times it will be temporary and go away on its own as as your child, you know, increases their their vocabulary, kind of learns to slow down and and process what they're thinking before before saying it. But but sometimes it doesn't go away on its own. And so I guess what what age would you be a little bit more concerned for stuttering continued? And how often does a child, you know, not grow out of the stutter? Mm, That's a really good question. And this is probably where we provide um, lots of support for parents because they have these very same questions. When should I be concerned or when should I seek help or support for my child? What age? So just trying to provide some, um, at least some additional information, some guidelines that we typically follow. So lots of kids have disruptions or disfluencies or stutters in their speech as they're starting to use language and have more and more words. Um, So that's typically two, two and a half, three, lots of kids have disfluencies. But when we see kids have their language explosion around that time, 18 months to 24 years of age, and their disfluencies aren't going away, um, or if they're becoming more pronounced. Usually we have this cutoff around about five years old. Um, If we're talking about a child with normal, typical language development, And they've had some disfluencies during that period where we typically see them. But if they're continuing beyond five with those disfluencies, and now the disfluencies have been happening for, you know, a year or two years, and they've noticed that they've become a bit more pronounced, maybe the repetitions have become longer, or the stuttering has become more involved, where it's moved away from just 
easy repetitions to more um, instances of getting stuck or stretching out the sound. So most kids, around 75%, will spontaneously recover on their own. And we see about 25% of those kids that started to stutter may be um, moving more towards persistent stuttering, especially after age five, age six. We see some reports that'll go up to about eight years old, depending on their language explosion was, right? Because we have sometimes um, kids may have uh, language develop a little bit later, then we sort of move that timeline. But typically, five, six, seven, if those disfluencies have not resolved, then we're, we're providing parents with a bit more support. So somewhere around kindergarten, first grade, and so teachers are going to pick up on this too and may bring it to the parents' attention. Exactly, exactly. During that language development period, so let's say the kid is is four and a parent is noticing one of these disfluencies at home, you know, I always think about, um, you know, sometimes for kids like in my personal experience or friends, you would almost want to finish the sentence for them or like help <laughs> them get the word out, right? When a, a child is struggling, you're like, mm-hmm. okay, come on, just say the word or like, this is what you mean. And what like tips do you give to parents on how to work with a child that has a stutter. I'm guessing that's the wrong thing to do. (laughs) (laughs) It's typically what we do, what we want to do intuitively when we're trying to help, right? If we see a child get stuck or um, are repeating sounds, we try to assist with, oh, you want this and, and speak for them or finish the word. And we try not to do this um, oftentimes we don't get it right. We we need to just wait for the child um, to to get out what they want to say. And I think you know we're so used to just a fast paced life um, and everything moves quickly. Really, the the support that we suggest is to provide a bit more wait time, give the child a chance to get the word out. We try to reduce distractions so the child has the sense that I have enough time for you. It's okay. I can wait. And so we kind of tune in, make good eye contact, try to reduce the distractions and just allow them the time. So we don't want to interrupt. We try not to interrupt, right? And we try not to fill in the word for them. I guess I'm just reminded of um, the movie A Fish Called Wanda. (laughs) and one of the characters who's stuttering and this everybody's really patient until the tension kind of ramps up and then they start start pressuring this character and like trying to finish the sentence and just get it out and Mm -hmm. then they like back off and and they say no we got time and be more patient just take your time (laughs) And they, they they just don't know what right. to do because right. they, they just want to, they just go wildly back and forth. Yeah, oh, it's a it's an older movie. It's a great one, but um, yeah, that's a really good example. We feel like we're helping if we help them. You know, let me just help you get the word out. So we have this sense then that the person doesn't know what they want to say, and even the child, it's not any sort of challenge with cognition or language. It's a motor, it's a motor speech challenge, right? So if we're talking about persistent stuttering, especially, 
We just want to give them a bit more wait time and they'll eventually get to the word. Well, I love what you just said. I think it's really important to like reinforce for parents is that it's not a cognitive issue. It's not that your child is slower to process things. Right. It's not that they have a learning issue. It's that they have an oral motor issue or a, a sort of issue getting out what they want to say. Right. Exactly. At what point should parents consider seeing like a speech language pathologist for for their child for stuttering? Is is that always indicated? Is there a certain age or does it depend on the difficulty that the child is having? What What sort of criteria is used for that? I would say my first initial response is parents should feel free to reach out to a speech language pathologist at any point when they have questions or concerns. Um, in terms of you know, what age would we be providing more support? As a child gets older, we're starting to see a lot of other things associated with stuttering. As the stuttering persists and they have more and more difficulty, if the stuttering is becoming more pronounced or more severe, and then if they're starting to experience, let's say, listener reactions. So around five, kids cognitively, they start to recognize, oh, like my speech might sound a little bit different from someone else. So if we start to, especially if we start to have kids have those associated feelings or emotions um, around stuttering where they're, you know, not wanting to talk or saying something like, mom, I can't get it out or showing any signs of frustration. Absolutely. Please seek some additional support and assistance. The goal is to not have the child, because of stuttering, not want to talk or not want to engage. I would love to hear some of your research because you talk about, it sounded like Dr. Dean mentioned you do some research within sort of like the the social implications of stuttering. What what have you found um, in your research in this topic? So my previous research has looked at the stress response for stuttering. So I've been interested in looking at, okay, we know that stress doesn't cause stuttering, right? Stuttering has a strong genetic component, but stress seems to be related when you talk to little kids who stutter, especially once you get to like school age where they can accurately start reporting how they feel they'll report that, well, when I get nervous or when I meet new people or it's someone I don't know, this increase in stress has an impact or influence on the severity of the stutters. So I was interested in looking at, okay, we have a lot of information around the stress component as it relates to adults who stutter, but hardly had any information around young kids who stutter and what their stress response is. And we've typically been left with parents' report of their child's stress because they're so young, right? And not that the parent report has no value, it absolutely does. But I was interested in looking at, okay, but what's going on physiologically with the body? Do we have this spike in stress hormones for young kids? And my research is still ongoing. I, you know, worked with a small sample size, but with the children I worked with, their cortisol or stress hormone levels weren't 
off the chart and what we were expecting, (laughs) but it did not turn out that way. Interesting. Well, you know, that's actually probably a good thing, right? Because we know and we've done previous podcasts. We just had uh, Dr. Nadine Burke Harris, who talks about childhood toxic stress. So that's like when that cortisol level is too high for too long, all of the negative effects it can cause. And so, you know, in the end, from a medical standpoint, that's actually a really good thing that they're not having those, you know, high high cortisol levels persistently, you know, with speech. So, I mean, even though it was a negative outcome, it's a good, a good negative outcome. Definitely an area to continue, continue researching with a larger sample size. Absolutely. For sure. Yeah. So um, I wonder if we can go into some more of the misconceptions around stuttering. So I think that you mentioned one already, which is that it is not associated with any cognitive, you know, issues or intellectual disabilities. Other things that that sometimes come up, like you also talked about, it's not caused by anxiety or nervousness, but it can sometimes be exacerbated by anxiety or nervousness. Um, How is there any other common misconceptions? I know sometimes parents ask me about relationship with tongue ties or other, you know, oral things like that. Yeah. Have, to your knowledge, is that related? No, at all? I mean, we've we've heard a lot of stories around old, really old remedies for stuttering. So we really don't recommend anything like, you know, clipping the frenulum or, you know, I've some really old studies with, you know, there should be pebbles in the mouth and then, you know, that will help the child stutter or stutter less. And so, I mean, we're really looking at some challenges. Let's say this is a persistent stutter, right? Like if the child continues to stutter, we're looking at strong genetic component for stuttering as opposed to, you know, um, something that the parent has done. That's, that's not accurate. Um, there's no, as you said, cognitive or uh, language difficulty that's resulting in the stutter. So when stuttering happens, the the parents shouldn't say, oh, it's something I did or didn't do or I should have read to my child more or talked to them more or something like that. It's not their fault. Exactly. We do hear this often, especially with young kids. The parents feel like, well, the child has, you know, been with me all day and I'm the one, you know, at home with them. Is this something I've done or haven't done? Um, you know, being critical of the speech, did that cause the stuttering? Me pointing it out, did that cause the stuttering? No, absolutely not. So once a child makes it to your office for stuttering, and then is stammering and stuttering the same thing? It's the same thing. Yeah, usually in the United States, we usually hear the term stuttering. Okay, yeah. Um, So once they make it to your office, what would a, a typical session look like with you working with a kid with a stutter? We want to make sure we thoroughly assess what the concerns are. But let's say we have a case where the child stuttering didn't go away. They're past five, six, seven. The stutters are becoming more pronounced. And the family said, you know what? We have some concerns. We don't want to see our child struggle. Or maybe there are some other concerns at school where Kids are pointing the stutter out. 
once you start getting to older children and persistent stuttering, then there could be things like bullying, things like that going on. So now we're in the area of, okay, we, we need to provide some support. And this would be now what would be called direct therapy. So we may be working on techniques to try to stutter more easily. We may be working on um, controlling their rate of speech and easing into sounds. We may be addressing their overall thoughts and feelings around stuttering. So we can't cure stuttering. That's not going to be the goal of treatment if the child is now past that period of spontaneous recovery and they're persistent. We're now supporting the child and the family with living with stuttering, but stuttering in a more easy way and hopefully not developing a lot of um, escape and avoidance behaviors. So these are learned behaviors where children will start to develop tricks to get out of the stutter. So we talked about early stuttering where there are easy repetitions, but as the stuttering has been going on for longer, these repetitions may become more pronounced and we start to see muscle tension and a bit more stress associated with the stutter. So now we're trying to sort of move back from that and have easier stuttering, not being afraid of stuttering. And oftentimes just practicing those kinds of techniques, we see the disfluencies go down, right? It's when the child is, I'm getting stuck. They start to learn other tricks. So we see um, escape behaviors like starting to have a facial grimace during the moment of the stutter or starting to move the eyes or move a limb to help them get out of the stutter. So moving other parts of the body. So this is an indication like, oh, this is getting a bit more severe and they're developing these learned behaviors to get out of the stutter. So those may be some of the things that we address. Similarly, avoidance, they may start to avoid talking. Those would be some things we'd want to address in treatment. Is there any role for, um, I think there's a specific type of speech therapy that is like an orofacial myofunctional therapy? I know that you said there's an age at which the stutter is probably going to stay with you for your life. And what age around is that? There's a range. Historically, we've said around five, right? But as kids are having their language explosion later, we've sort of been moving this timeline a bit. So anywhere between five and eight, they could still be in that period of just spontaneously outgrowing it right? But once we get past five, six, seven, eight, nine, and they've been stuttering since early childhood, let's say they've been stuttering since two or two and a half, we are expecting this to be persistent stuttering. That doesn't necessarily mean severe stuttering. It's just that we won't be able to engage in any treatment practice that will eliminate stuttering to zero. That's just, that won't be a treatment goal. Right. But that doesn't mean that um, we wouldn't do treatment because we could still make it easier. 
Exactly. Exactly. Gotcha. How about that type of therapy that I mentioned before? Any benefit to that for any age kid? I have not personally used that or have have seen anyone use that. I always think, you know, at this point about probably the most famous, one of the most famous people in the United States of America right now that has a stutter. Do you guys know who that is? Is it <laughs> the, the president? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Joe Biden. Mm-hmm. I President Biden. I remember during his you know, election campaign, watching this like super moving, powerful ad, I guess, <laughs> about him dealing with his stutter as a child. And I mean, gosh, talk about a success story. I, you can still hear it sometimes when he is speaking, but great speaker, really good at getting his point across. Um, and so I feel like he is just, you know, an inspiration to a, a lot of kids who are dealing with this. Yeah, absolutely. He does have a slower rate that probably helps quite a bit. But yeah, just because the child has a persistent stutter doesn't necessarily mean that it stays severe or that it's severe all of all of the time. You do see fluctuations where there may be more stressful periods and the stutter sort of, you know, flares up for a bit. But then if they're engaging in a slower rate and um, not hiding or running from stuttering, then we typically see the disfluencies go down. Yeah. So parents should know just because your child stutter doesn't mean that they can't grow up and be president or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great takeaway from this episode. Well, Dr. Patterson, thank you so much for spending the time with us exploring stuttering. Dr. Dean, should we summarize today's topic? Yeah, let's do that. So we talked about how stuttering is quite common in childhood, usually appearing sometime between two and four and a half years of age. About 5% of kids um, stutter. Yeah, and while in the early developmental period, this is totally normal during that language explosion, if you're noticing stuttering persist, you know, between the ages of four, six, you definitely want to reach out to your pediatrician. Um, If a teacher brings up this concern, it's a great idea to get your child assessed by a speech and language pathologist. Right. Remember, this is not an indication that they have cognitive or learning problems. And what parents can really do to help their child is to really be patient with them. Mm-hmm. There are lots of skills that they can develop over time to help slow the rate of speech, kind of decrease the anxiety associated with public speaking. Um, and many kids do extremely well with stuttering and can even become the president of the United States. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> So we would like to thank Dr. Aisha Patterson, Associate Professor in Communication Sciences and Disorders at California State University in Sacramento, for joining us for this episode, although Dr. Lena and I take full responsibility for any errors or misinformation. And also, I would like to um, thank um, uh, one of the nurses that we work with, um, Jennifer Sutherland, who suggested um, this subject that we should address this on our podcast. Thank you, Jennifer. And before we go, can I just talk about, did you guys hear about the panda that had a little stutter? No. It's a, it's a story that bears repeating. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Dr. Dean ends every episode with a joke. A bad one. There, I was yeah, not that prepared was, for that one. <laughs> <laughs> that, is a, that was better than most of his. So we'll... <laughs> we love it. <laughs> 
That wraps up this episode of Kids Considered. You can find more information on our website, kidsconsidered.ucdavis.edu. Follow us on Twitter at Kids Considered. And Instagram at Kids Considered. If you have feedback on this show or topics you would like us to discuss in the future, we would love to hear from you. Please call us. Our number is 916-915-3388. Or email us at kidsconsidered at gmail.com. Please rate us on iTunes or wherever you subscribe to your podcasts. Thank you for listening, and we hope you will join us for our next podcast. Kids Considered is sponsored by UC Davis Children's Hospital. 